Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming of Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you, and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus to see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Thank you very much, Ellen, for reading. Well, we are near the end, almost at the end, in fact, of the book of Colossians, having been preaching through it for a few months now in our variously morning and evening services. Uh, as Sinatra might say, we haven't done it my way, hopefully we've done it Paul's way. Uh, whether me preaching or Simon preaching or others, uh, we have tried, as with any book of the Bible, to preach simply the text we find, and so not to do it our way, but to do it uh, the author's way, the Holy Spirit's way. And as we reach the end, we find a title in the NIVs, uh, not printed on our service sheets tonight, but in the Bible, Final Greetings. That's how this book ends, how many books of the Bible in the New Testament, in fact, end. Of course, these final greetings are still preserved for us by the Holy Spirit as part of Holy Scripture. They're still part of the Word of God, and so we don't gloss over them, even though they do seem like the, the dying embers of the book, but we do continue to preach them. And so this is as much a sermon to um, feast on as any other sermon in the Colossians series. Because these final greetings are actually very exciting. You might remember a a Danish lager, Carlsberg, uh, for a long time has been doing adverts along the lines of, we don't do this, but if we did, it'd be the best in the world. So, you know, we don't do haircuts, but if Carlsberg did do haircuts, they'd be the best haircuts in the world. Well, they haven't yet tried to say we don't do final greetings, but if we did do final greetings, they'd be the best greetings in the world. Uh, It wouldn't be true if they did say that, because Paul does do final greetings, and his final greetings probably are the best in the world. Now, they're best, but they're also a bit scattergun. So there isn't one main thing in amongst all of these final greetings. Instead, there's several different, quite interesting little things to pick up on. So you'll forgive me if tonight there isn't one main thrust uh, with our talk, but in fact, in these 12 verses, 12 little nuggets to chomp on. So we have 12 lessons in 12 uh, verses with 12 greetings to or from different people, all very biblical 12s there. 
and they all have attached a name of a person or a city. So we're not going to have the 12 apostles tonight. It's not Peter, Andrew, Simon, Jude, Matthew, etc. Instead, we're going to have Tychicus, the city of Colossae, Onesimus or Onesimus, Aristarchus, Justus, Epaphras, the city of Herapolis, Luke, Nympha, the city of Laodicea, Archippus and Paul. Exciting stuff. And we'll touch on these, don't worry, briefly as we go through. So number one, greeting number one from Tychicus, verse seven. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant of the Lord. A fellow servant with me, as in with Paul. Now that's interesting. Paul, the great apostle, a servant and a fellow servant with Tychicus. Like, in fact, Jesus himself, who of course said that the greatest among you must be the servant of all and who washed his apostles' feet. Now, if an apostle, if the Lord Jesus himself uh, is a servant, then certainly all Christian leaders must be servants. For my sins, I do sometimes go on Twitter, and there was a grumpy tweet on Twitter this week from somebody which read, as a church janitor, the pastors don't view me as a co-worker, they view me as a servant. Well, it's sad on many levels to read that sort of tweet. Of course, we're all fellow servants, like Tychicus, like Paul, all servants in the master's, the one master's household. And so there's a lesson here about our tone, addressing each other, dealing with each other, as one servant to another, all fellow servants. Message number two, verse eight. I'm sending him, Tychicus, to you for the express purpose that you may know about our, Paul's, circumstances, and that he, Tychicus, may encourage your hearts. Now, we've got our alarm going off, our cliche alarm. The word encourage has come up. And you might know from previous sermons, I have a bit of a bee in my bonnet about sometimes uh, how overused the word encourage can be amongst us. Uh, Are you encouraged? Are you feeling encouraged? How can I encourage you, etc.? But sometimes when we come across that, it's important to go back to the original and think, well, why is that word in the Bible so much? Is it legitimate for us to be using it so much? As we go back to the original word in this verse 8, encourage... Uh, we can defer the arteries of meaning. So the original word is parakaleo, which is a wonderful Greek word, meaning uh, is a two-parter, call alongside. So kaleo, call, and para, alongside. So we're not really being told uh, in the English sense to encourage each other simply, but we're being called alongside in this verse. That's what Tychicus was sent to do for the Colossians, to call them alongside Paul in his striving for the gospel. The image there is of a shield wall of soldiers standing side by side in a great endeavour, standing side by side in global gospel ministry. Tychicus is going to call the Colossians to join in this shield wall and join in the spiritual battle. That martial imagery, uh, imagery of soldiers is one of many images in the Bible for the church. Of course, there's also family imagery, as we'll see later on, and uh, temple imagery and so on. But here we have army imagery. Good for us, therefore, to remember here, 20 centuries later, that when we're encouraging others, we're calling them to stand alongside us in the great shield wall of the spiritual warfare that we're engaged in. Not something to do down, but something to keep on going ahead with. Message number three in verse nine. Encouragement number three. 
Tychicus is coming. He is coming with Onesimus. Here's our third person, Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. That is everything that's happening in the mission to Rome. Paul's writing this from prison in Rome all the way to Colossae, 1,300 miles away. And he's saying, these guys who are bringing the letter to you, they're going to tell you everything that's going on here in Rome with the mission. He's going to send them church news. Now, there's some news that we don't always want to get, some that we kind of turn our noses up at. Maybe the Christmas letter that goes on and on for pages from a distant uncle telling them about all their trips over the past year. Or the slideshow from an aunt who won't stop telling you about her various adventures on holiday. But there's also sometimes church news that we really do want to get. Maybe it's an investor looking at his stocks and shares news in the paper. Or it's a hobbyist getting their magazine with their latest hobby details. Maybe an amateur fisher, for example, getting Angling World, or a fashionista getting Vogue, or perhaps even a Little Shelford residence getting Around Little Shelford, a plug for the new edition of that out this season. Very exciting news. And that's the sort of news that Paul is sending with Tychicus to Colossae. Very exciting news, not boring news, exciting news about what's going on with the mission in Rome. Likewise, we today should be excited by church news of what's going on, not just here in Little Shelford, but around the world with the church. A wonderful way to do that is to read church newspapers. So we often have Evangelicals Now, newspaper in the porch, uh, which a few people pick up. But maybe more of us could pick up Evangelicals Now and have a read of what's going on with the church and do exactly what Paul wanted the Colossians to do, which is to hear and to know about how the church was faring in the rest of the world. Other publications are available. For example, if you want to read some of the ramblings of your own curate, you can read English Churchman, uh, which is another wonderful church newspaper. And, of course, there's online options as well, both of those newspapers and others. Find out and know about what's going on with the church in the rest of the world. Lesson number four in verse 10. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus, our fourth person Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Aristarchus is a fellow prisoner. We've had fellow servants. Now we have a fellow prisoner. So the church news is getting even better. Not only is it church news, which some of the Colossians might be turning their noses up at, it's also coming from a prisoner. This is the height of social embarrassment to be getting news from prison in Rome. Pretty unfashionable. But don't stop reading, uh, Paul wants the Colossians to think. Don't shy away from me, because actually that's not quite such a bad thing, because he's in prison, and uh, Aristarchus, his fellow prisoner, is also in prison for the sake of the gospel, not for the sake of doing misdemeanors. We're reminded here of other verses in the Bible that uh, talk about the, um, the wonder, actually, of suffering in this way. So 2 Timothy 1.8, share in suffering, Paul tells Timothy. Embrace it. Don't shy away from it. Or Acts chapter 5, verse 41, when the apostles were imprisoned by the Sadducees, they rejoiced that they were worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name, rather than shying away from that dishonor. What's our reaction when seeing persecuted Christians around the world, when seeing fellow prisoners 
of the Lord around the world. When we see a concentration camp in North Korea or a church being burnt down in India or Christian villages slaughtered in Nigeria, what's our reaction on seeing that sort of suffering and imprisonment for the Lord? Is it to shy away? Is it to distance ourselves, to disassociate ourselves, to not be interested, to think it's wonderful it's not happening here and just to pray that it doesn't come to our shores? Or is it instead to honour that suffering for the Lord, that they were counted worthy of suffering for the sake of the name and pray for them to keep going, as I'm sure the Colossians were doing so for Paul. Fifth message in verse 11. Jesus, who is called Justice, our fifth person uh, of greeting, greetings from Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. We've had fellow servants, we've had fellow prisoners, now we have fellow workers, co-workers for the kingdom. We're moving from army imagery of that shield wall we mentioned to business imagery of co-workers. The church is a spiritual army, of course, but it's also, here's another picture for the church, a family business, a small-scale enterprise. Think the sort of scale of uh, little family businesses in the tiny little industrial estate in Little Shelford, that sort of size. Not big business, not an institution but a small family business. The church actually goes wrong when we think of it as an institution, as a a big corporate. That's when lots of problems start to arise. On the other hand, we also start to have problems in the church if we overly sentimentalise it and turn it into a family, but without the business side, simply a family at rest. The church is a business, but not big business. The church is a family, but not simply a family at rest but a family at work, a family business. That's where we need to be on that spectrum. So for us, let's not despise the scale of the church. Let's not think, gosh, what a difficult family to have to work with all my life. Instead, think of your church or of your Christian union or of your, Christian, uh, your church prayer group as co-workers, fellow workers in the work of the Lord and rejoice in that little family partnership that you have. God, of course, brings great plants out of tiny mustard seeds and out of this small number of workers in Rome, in Colossae, in other parts of the Mediterranean 20 centuries ago, he's brought the great plant of the church today. Not a church of many millions that should be treated as an institution, but a church of many millions composed of many little family businesses, perhaps like All Saints Little Shelford. Message number six, verse 12, from Epaphras. Our sixth greeting, Epaphras, who is one of you, one of you Greeks, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Prayers at the end of New Testament epistles often remind us of the main points of the book earlier on. And sure enough, Here, this prayer of Epaphras that he's urgently praying for Colossae reminds us of earlier in the book, chapter 2, for example, verses 1 to 4, where Paul wrote, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
Do you see the echoes of that prayer of Paul's here at the end of the book in Epaphras' prayer as he's wrestling and he's working hard in prayer for them that they may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. All the riches of assurance in Christ. What a wonderful thing to pray for anybody. A good thing to pray for each other and for those outside and beyond the church. Not adding to the gospel with extra requirements, but that we may stand firm in the fullness of the gospel, not taking away from it, diminishing its calls to holiness and repentance. Standing firm instead in the full gospel of Christ. Number seven, verse 13. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our seventh greeting, a greeting to Hierapolis. How is Epaphras working hard for Hierapolis? That's the hymn referred to. As I say, it's 1,300 miles from Rome to these little cities he's writing to in Asia Minor. How is Epaphras working hard for them if he's that far away? Well, it's in prayer he's working. He's praying that that prayer we just mentioned of assurance for them in Christ. And even though he's all that distance away, nonetheless, because he's praying for them, he's working for them. He's a prayer warrior. Sometimes you use the term prayer warrior in a demeaning sense. Oh, they're they're a prayer warrior. They've kind of moved on from regular Christian involvements. They're confined to home now. All they can do is be a prayer warrior. But that's certainly not the tone in which Epaphras is being referred to here. He's honoured as a prayer warrior. He's honoured for his hard work for those at Laodicea and in Hierapolis and in Colossae. He is a fellow servant, a fellow prisoner, a fellow worker. And so, for all of us, we can be prayer warriors. Whatever stage or age we're at, we can all be prayer warriors like he was, like Epaphras was. And whether we are praying for Beijing or Senegal or the Middle East or Uganda or Sligo, where all of our mission partners are working on the grounds, we can be prayer warriors with them for those places, even though they're 1,300 or more miles away. What a wonderful ministry to have. Eighth greeting, verse 14. Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. Luke, our eighth name. The gospel writer uh, Luke is mentioned here. He was a companion of Paul. He's mentioned in a few New Testament letters. And as we saw in verse 11, the only Jews uh, there with Paul in Rome were Tychicus, Aristarchus, Mark, and Justus. Luke is very much a Gentile, a non-Jew, Uh, a Greek, perhaps, like the people in Colossae. And he's also mentioned here as being a doctor, the only place we see in the Bible that he was indeed a man of science, a man of physic, a doctor, a learned person. That's very significant when we read the Gospel of Luke, that we're reading a Gospel written by a non-Jew, and therefore somebody who's writing for a non-Jewish audience, like most of ourselves, And he's actually writing from the point of view of somebody learned, scientific, methodical. Indeed, he writes that he's writing a methodical and orderly account at the start of his gospel. So this is quite significant information we find at the end of Colossians about one of the four gospels. And a wonderful encouragement as we're reading Luke, particularly if we are non-Jewish scientists, which of course many of us here in Shelford are. Our ninth greeting, verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Some people might jump on this verse and say, aha, Nympha, 
who has a church in her house, a female church leader. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to get into the big discussion about uh, that, uh, certainly not in passing in this particular manner. But we can say this, can't we? That, at the very least, this is a woman, Nympha, who is hosting a church in her house. Uh, You might know uh, from, again, previous sermons, I'm a big fan of the Countess of Huntingdon, who is this lady in the 18th century. Uh, I wrote a lot of my uh, thesis in Oxford about the Countess of Huntingdon, who was around uh, in the 1700s. And she literally did host a lot of churches in her house. That was the way she got round the, parochial, the awkward parochial system of the Church of England. She just said, well, you know what? I'm a uh, member of the aristocracy. I happen to have about 30 houses around the country, and they all have private chapels in them. They all need private chaplains. Therefore, I suddenly have a, con- a denomination of 30 chaplains, although it later rose to about 200 chaplains. And that's the point at which it became a bit of a problem with the authorities. But she hosted a church in her house, like Nympha, a modern-day, well, relatively modern-day Nympha uh, in England. Uh, What a wonderful thing to see. So wherever we are on the complementarianism spectrum, uh, certainly we can see from this little verse in Colossians uh, definitely a role for anybody uh, of means, whether male or female, in uh, being a patron and a protector of the church. Our tenth uh, greeting, verse 16 After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Laodicea, the city of Laodicea, our tenth name. There's a lesson here for us on the formation and character of the Bible, particularly the New Testament. This is very much a letter. It doesn't stop abruptly at the end of a particular lesson a few verses ago, but it goes on with these greetings, these interpersonal greetings between real people who really lived 20 centuries ago and different places they lived in. And these were passed around, as we can see, from different city to different city. So you've got this letter, Colossians. When you finish with it, send it over to Laodicea so they can read it. And likewise, you get their letter off them, although sadly we no longer seem to have the letter to the Laodiceans Uh, around. But some letters from that time were preserved uh, by the Holy Spirit providentially, and those ones that were preserved, written by the apostles, were recognized very early as being something from the Holy Spirit, as being part of God's word to his people in the church age. And that's a great encouragement to us, that these letters didn't appear out of nowhere. They appeared out of a real historical context, They appeared out of interactions between real people who really could be interrogated and questions about what they'd seen and heard and what they knew by the first readers. These things were not simply written in a cave by a madman. These letters were written by real people in real places. And that is a wonderful encouragement for us about the historicity, the truth of Holy Scripture. Our 11th greeting in verse 17. Tell Archippus our 11th name, Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. Who knows what Archippus's ministry in the Lord was? He could have had all sorts of roles in the church in Colossae. We just don't know. It's left a little bit vague. Who knows also why he may have been tempted to sway away from that ministry that he was given, but for whatever reason he was. And it's wonderful, actually, how Paul leaves it a bit inspecific what the ministry was or what he should be doing. It's very pastorally tactful, the way he puts this. See to it that you complete the ministry. It's not as heavy as do this 
or do that, or why haven't you done this, or why haven't you done that? Instead, he's leaving it up to Archippus himself and his conscience. You know what your ministry is in the Lord that you've been given. Complete it. See to it in the Lord that you complete it. Do what God has called you to do. And there's a good encouragement for us to give to one another. There's all sorts of different ministry contexts, ministry networks that we have here. Let's pray that we all complete our own individual ministries in the Lord. And finally, number 12, verse 18. I, Paul, our 12th name, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. A familiar ending to New Testament letters, grace be with you. An abbreviated format of the the longer form that we get at the end of the second book of Corinthians, uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all evermore. The abbreviated form, grace be with you, simply saying that grace, love and fellowship among Christians depend on our uh, faith in God, uh, our involvement with the Lord Jesus and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Again, it's good here to go back to the Greek, actually, uh, to charis, which is the Greek word here for the, that we translate grace, which, of course, grace is not derived from. But uh, charis, charis, uh, methuman, he says. Grace doesn't mean elegance uh, in the Greek original, as we might think, you know, uh, the ballerina was graceful. Instead, charis means goodwill, favor be to you and be among you. When he's saying grace be with you, he's saying goodwill and favor be among you and dwell with you richly. And of course, goodwill and favor being amongst us, like with fellowship and love, depends on that assurance that we spoke of and our maturity in Christ that was being prayed for then and is prayed for now. Are they the best final greetings ever? They're probably better than Carlsberg would do anyway. I challenge you to give 12 verses of final greetings better than those 12. Shall we pray? We thank you, Lord, for the richness of Scripture, for all the people involved in the family business, the spiritual army of the church, both back then in the first century and now in the 21st century. May we answer the call to stand alongside them, laboring in prayer, in word, and in deed. For Jesus' sake. Amen.